This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I'm Stephen Ellis. Joining me as always is Ryan Candy. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Before we talk hockey, how was your week? My week was pretty good. Uh, yeah. What have I been up to? It feels like, you know, it's, I kind of want to just watch TV. And, I mean, there was great hockey on leading up to the Frozen Four, so yes. that was nice. And we were at the CHL Top Prospects game last week. So, fun. nice to get out to the rink and see all of our media friends, people that I haven't seen in person in literally several years. Yeah. So that was kind of cool to see people from different publications coming up from the States, coming over from Quebec. That was fun. Because for a lot of that, like that was 2020, the last time that happened, like January, the end of January, I believe, in Hamilton. So like that mm-hmm. was kind of like, that was it. Yeah. And then, so yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, I finished The Dirt, the book on the way Oh, here. very good. Uh, very happy with the book. Yeah. Uh, also, I've, I, I started listening to some new metal bands, and then I realized why people don't like listening to new metal. Yeah. Um, I just gave it a try. And uh, it's like, I love playing Limp Biscuit songs on guitar, but I don't like listening to Limp Biscuit. <laughs> that makes sense. It's like some of the stuff can be kind of fun, but uh, you just like tuning your guitar down to drop C. Well, that's all. Yeah, that's yeah. what I play. I play a lot of drop C or drop A. I have a seven string guitar. I play drop A and wow. then drop C on both my uh, regular guitar and my uh, six string bass. Do your strings just hit like the actual guitar that they're so loose? Well, see, so from A one almost. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I was I was recording something and hey, I'm like, man, this like I keep hearing this weird noise. I don't can't figure it out, and it was because I was basically the strings were so loose. Yeah, and I should probably cut the strings too. Yeah, but. I play drop D. That's good enough. Yeah, drop C. Drop yeah. D is good, but yeah. drop C. I've been trying to make like a pop punk album in drop C. That's tough. A lot of breakdowns. Uh, Good luck on that. I make, eh, it's actually not doing too bad. I've been using this drum program, uh, Easy Drummer 2, to kind of help me work on the drum parts. And nice. It sounds good. So, yeah. But uh, before we kind of talk about what's going on with hockey, obviously, very sad news hockey uh, last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, the loss of Eugene Melnick, the Ottawa Senators owner at the age of 62. And this is someone that truly was passionate about this team. It's like he was like the biggest fan of the team. And you kind of want that from your owner. But... This is someone through the thick and the thin, through everything. He he just wanted that team to be competitive. Very much so. And, you know, a, a lot of people pointing out in, in the wake of this that, you know, back in 2003, Eugene Melnick probably saved the Ottawa Senators. Mm-hmm. You know, was, they were struggling financially. Um, you know, they very well could have moved somewhere else. But he bought them. He built them up. And... You know, obviously the a roller coaster ride over the years where you had the Senators going to the Stanley Cup final, you had them sort of bottoming out, you had some some really good surprising runs that year they almost went to the cup, uh, losing to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. in the Eastern Conference final. You know, um, all of the, the talk and the, the sort of political scraps about the new arena. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, when you think of the Ottawa Senators, I mean, Eugene Melnick is going to be one of the names that sort of go down in the franchise's history as as one of the big difference makers. And yes, he was controversial. And, you know, fans obviously had some very heated opinions uh, about his stewardship over the club. But, I mean, his name is synonymous with the Senators. You know, the first names you're going to think of are like Daniel Alfredson and, and guys like that. Uh, but Eugene Melnick is, is right at the top as well. 
And the Ottawa Senators are in a spot where obviously he was not the one building the team, but they're in a spot where they're looking good for the future, and it'd be almost kind of like a cool way to kind of honor him for some good runs in the next couple of years. They got some good prospects. We'll talk about one of them later in the show, but uh, he's a human. He's everything, and it's it's a, a tough moment for hockey. I never want to see that. So a uh, very sad way to almost start the podcast. But let's talk about teams that you're liking after the trade deadline because it's been about a week since the deadline mm-hmm. uh, last Monday uh, we've had seen some trade drama since then uh, if getting dead enough uh, we also saw some a couple minor trades the AHL trade deadline just finished uh, ECHL trade I believe is coming up um, mm. are you excited for that one Totally. It's all yes. about the future considerations. Yes. Uh, well, Brady Lyle got traded yesterday. The Boston Ruins to uh, St. Louis Blues for future considerations. Former North Bay Battalion, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Uh, yeah, they're in Owen Sound. And there you uh, go. I, I remember saying to someone at a Marks game, I was like, he just feels like the guy that's going to be traded at the deadline and just be like for like nothing. It's just going to be like a depth trade. And I had no reason for it. I just like watching him play. It's like a, he's a good player, but I don't see where he fits. And then he got traded for future considerations. There so, you go. Um, I guess after looking for the past week, which teams are you liking the most out of the trade deadline? Not not necessarily who's going to win the Stanley Cup, but mm-hmm. which ones I think kind of came out looking really good. Yeah, I'll I'll pick one per conference. Um, you know, starting in the East with the Boston Bruins, and you know their big acquisition was Hampus Lindholm. He's played a couple of games for them, given them some good minutes. What I like about the Bruins is that they're red hot right now. I yes. think they've won seven of their past ten, yes. uh, maybe even eight. But, you know, bringing in Lindholm, and this is something we talked about, you know, before the trade deadline, is that back end needed some help. You know, they needed to take a little bit of the burden off of Charlie McAvoy. And bringing in somebody like Lindholm, who has, you know, such a good two-way game and is such a calming presence and can eat those minutes, clearly that was a good fit for them. And, you know, it's obviously super early, but, you know, going down the stretch, these are... You know, the times where, especially in that division where things are packed so tightly at the top, teams are going to be vying for, you know, not only home ice advantage, but, you know, whether you're top three or your wild card. And it's going to be kind of interesting, too, to see in the East. Would a team in the Atlantic prefer to be a wild card playing against the Metro? Okay. Do you want to play Florida? (laughs) You know, would you rather play Carolina or possibly Pittsburgh, um, most likely Carolina. Mm -hmm. You never want to tell your opponent that you want to play them. But I wonder what sort of jockeying is going to happen and and how things all uh, play out there. So, uh, you know, the Bruins, things are going great. And, you know, they folded Lindholm in. So I, I like how that has turned out. And then, you know, moving over to the West, and this is a, a Stanley Cup favorite, the Colorado Avalanche, you know, adding Josh Manson it seemed like such a good fit. And I was actually speaking with Coach Jared Bednar uh, not long ago for an upcoming magazine feature. And, you know, I was asking him about their blue line and how, you know, they're kind of unique where they have Kale McCarr, they have Devon Taves, they have Samuel Girard, all excellent puck movers. You know, none of them are particular, you know, like beastly guys. But, you know, it's interesting how well that they play having three of those guys where, you know, another team would be lucky to have two. And he was pointing out that, you know, the reason that it works is that they have a lot of diversity on that blue line where you also have Eric Johnson, who's a bigger guy. You have Jack Johnson, who's very physical. And now they have Josh Manson, who, you know, at this point, I don't know if he played maybe one game um, for Bednar, but, you know, Josh Manson fit a 
different kind of profile for them as well. A guy that can do different mm-hmm. things and brings a lot of size to the table. So I like that fit for the Avs. And again, you know, you're already really good. You don't want to shake things up too much. The Avs addressed what they felt was a need in getting Josh Manson. And then, you know, Andrew Cogliano, a good depth guy as well. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You're just trying to, you know, augment what you already have. And and what the Avs already had was amazing. So I like how that turned out for them too. See, for me, like it was kind of a talk last week that this team, the the, the top teams right now definitely improved. No one kind of fell backwards. It felt like Mm. the Boston Bruins felt like the team that maybe wasn't getting enough attention because, yeah, the campus Lindholm, not having the greatest season of his career, but is going to be so important for the Boston Bruins. But then you look at what Tampa did and Florida did, and they got depth, and they got good depth. They got some size. They made those teams harder to play against. But the Boston Bruins, like I said, is a team where uh, it just seems like they're, what is it, the six wins? No, no, a bunch of wins in a row. Like they're one of the top teams. Uh, four wins in a row, eight, one, and one in the last ten. Yeah. So they've been one of the hottest teams since the trade downline. They're a much tougher team to play against. And they're, at this point, like, if we were talking about who's going to win the Atlantic, it's been kind of like Florida, Tampa, Toronto. You know, but Boston's only like they're tied with Toronto as of this recording, and they're only a few points behind Florida for first. So like they're still in the running for this, and mm-hmm. um, so they for sure are a team that I think got so like just so much more dangerous from that. And to a point, Toronto adding Giordano, that team defensively has looked a lot better the last few games. Yeah, Peter Mrazek's looked like an NHL goalie again. Um, Eric Children, maybe not, <laughs> but, uh, but but when you look at like Giordano coming in, that's been good. And, uh, we haven't really seen the, the huge rise of Blackwell yet, but like Giordano was the piece they needed. And a lot of the talk was, oh, we need a goalie. Like, well, I think he got the piece you needed a bit more mm. because Toronto's defensive depth is a topic every year that the trade online and every year in the playoffs. Yeah, they got that. It, at this point, you're still kind of hoping Campbell comes back and he's the guy when he's healthy, but. I do like kind of what they did there, but obviously Tampa and Florida, I just, I, to me, those were winners right off the bat because they didn't give up really anything to get what they needed. And their Florida having Giroux in there is a big deal. We will talk about Giroux later, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the West, uh, Minnesota, uh, I just think that you, you needed to get a guy who can go out there and share the net with Cam Talbot. And Cam Talbot was playing really good, and you bring in Flurry, and he's been fantastic. So. Um, it's still early in those days, and obviously goalies don't play every single day. Um, but I think that part of my concern with that Minnesota Wild team was what were you going to get out of the goaltending? Because mm. when Kakinen was good, Kakinen was good. When Talbot was good, it was good. But there was too many of the opposite that yeah. happened with those two goalies. And you you can't go wrong with adding Flurry and not giving up a roster piece. And that was the thing. All the contenders didn't have to give up major roster pieces to make this work because if you've got a good core and we talked about like Calgary before the trade online if the core's working don't change it yeah add if you if there's something that's a really good fit but don't shake up what you have mm-hmm. and some of those teams like Calgary didn't they, they brought on some good pieces that I think make the team better but um, to me I, I really like what the Wilds kind of were able to do out of the deadline so it's again it's a goalie it's a little different but I love my goalies but um, it, it's something where I think that's a team where <laughs> If you, you've got Colorado in your division, you're going to have to probably get past them at some point. Uh, I like what they did. Right on. So, uh, yeah. So the trade deadline, it's uh, it's over. It feels like the news cycles are just really boring afterwards, but <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, but your updated Stanley Cup picks at this point, uh, have they changed? I'll say my original picks for the year were Tampa Bay and Colorado to make the finals, mm. with Tampa Bay being the Stanley Cup. And I never picked back-to-back winners. But I picked them in two years ago. I picked them last year. 
I picked them again this year, and I'm sticking to it. I know they may not be the favorite at this point, but with that in mind, what would you say uh, your Stanley Cup pick is right now? Yeah, I still feel like it's going to be a Colorado-Florida final. I think Colorado would be my choice at this point. My dark horse is Calgary in the West. I just think the Flames are really built for the playoffs, and they have so much scoring punch right now. They have a great versatile decor, and they have a great goalie, so they have all the elements. But if I was to sort of my, – my sort of chalk pick would be the Avs over the Panthers because these are the teams that it feels like they're cresting towards this moment, you know, and, and the Avs have had a couple of disappointments the past couple of years. You know, Florida has steadily made their way up. And, you know, you know the Panthers, they want to win that battle of Florida against Tampa Bay, whether they actually face them mm-hmm. or just surpass them, you know, via a They just want to route. be the best. Of they them. want to be the last Florida team standing. So, you know, great extra motivation there. Um, so, to me, that feels like the most likely scenario. Okay. Yeah. I... Uh, it, it, Colorado's just got so much going for them, and I know there was talk about how like maybe their goaltending wasn't up to par to some of the other teams. But to me, that's not looking like a problem right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kemper's looking good. Uh, Florida, you still got Bobrovsky, who's hit or miss. But I think when you look at it, it's I, I just still think Tampa Bay, and I think Stanley Cup experience is overrated um, because like Travis Moen was a uh, coveted player near the end of his career because he's this guy who had the Stanley Cup experience. He scored a game-winning goal. It's like, yeah, well, he kind of like fluked into that goal, and he was playing like fourth line on the Anaheim Ducks. Like, right. he's a tough guy. But it, it, that's just one example. But I always feel like playoff experience, it, to them, players will always say it's just another hockey game. For them. Whether or not that's actually how it is, it's up to the individual player. Obviously, the stakes are high. But – they will throughout time have played in championship games. Even at the youth level, there's nothing bigger than a AAA championship when you're 10 years old. Um, so it's like they always play in these high-pressure situations. Obviously, winning the Stanley Cup in front of a full-pack crowd is a totally different situation, and that's not totally comparable. But I feel like Stanley Cup experience can be overrated. That being said, Tampa hasn't changed much of their core that won the Stanley Cup the last couple of years. And when this group's fully healthy, we know how dangerous that could be. Mm. And they've had Kudrow for the, pretty much the entire season. They've had all this. So they, this is a group that I think could be still the favorite to me. But Colorado, it's like the, the numbers don't lie how good they've been this year. Yeah, uh, they, they learned last year from some playoff disappointments in the past years. And it, that's a very cohesive group run by Nathan McKinnon. You got Nazem Kachi's having a good year. Oh, yeah. uh, you got Kale McCarr, obviously, having the season he's having. So, uh, to me, I think that this is – it could truly go either way. And that would almost feel like – like last year feels like we were kind of cheated out of a proper Stanley Cup final because uh-huh. the Montreal Canadiens were not going to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then you look at, like, the year Dallas. Dallas defended their way all the way to the Cup. Yeah. If we actually got Tampa versus Colorado, like, that would be one heck of – of a battle and it can go either way you take Tampa you flow forward it's like either way I feel like we're going to get something really good and you would expect that everyone's going to project the top teams in each uh, conference Um, in which case right now would be Florida and and Colorado but for me I'm I'm still sticking with Tampa I just like the playoff like again I say the playoff experience is overrated but I just the fact that they haven't changed this team much it still looks like that same core that won the cup two years ago I like so I'll go with that Mm -hmm. another hot topic defenseman 
two defensemen in particular, Roman Yossi and Kael McCarr. And which one's going to win the Norris Trophy? So just for reference, Roman Yossi's up to 81 points in 64 games for Nashville. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Uh, and Kale McCarr is up to 73 in 62 games, or two fewer games. Um, but I guess before I ask you who would be your Norris pick right now, if you needed, if it, if it was... If you were going one on one against one of those two guys, and it's up, your career is up to scoring on that play and getting past that defenseman. Mm. Who would you not want to face the most? Yeah, I mean it's really tough because, like, Kale McCarr has evolved quite a bit in the past couple of years. And again, going back to my conversation with Jared Bednar, you know, he talked about how much work McCarr has put in on the defensive end. And, you know, he's never going to be like a big physical defenseman, but because he has such a good stick and because he's such a good skater, he can cut you off in a bunch of different ways Mm -hmm. otherwise. So, you know what? I might, I might say McCarr at this point in terms of uh, a defensive one-on-one. The one thing Kale McCarr was really good at at the junior level was being very deceptive in the way that he would almost give you the lane and make you think, oh, it's, it's okay. And then he would just like, but you could never predict what he's going to do. And yeah. you'd say, oh, this guy's small, out of muscle. No, you can't. He's not this big physical defenseman, but at 5'11", he's still a very strong defenseman. He's got some good strength there. For, for me, I always thought Roman Yossi was like 6'5". It's just because he plays a big game, but it's also because Nashville coveted big defensemen forever. Right. So it was like, I remember it was like three years ago, I'm like, oh, he's only 6'1". Oh my gosh. It's like, the dude's not huge at all, but he's got like, he's over 200 pounds. He's still a physical guy. Yeah. I feel like he is just, uh, to me, he's the tougher defenseman to play against. And, mm. and maybe it's because we've just seen him for so much longer. He's, right. He's 31. And he's been in the league since 2011. Um, but to me, he feels like the guy that just is so tough to play against it, it, mm. one of the hardest guys to play against and uh I've there's, there's been interviews where NHL players said like he's one of the so hard to play against like well he won the Norris trophy everything but um <laughs> it's it's basically a fifth it doesn't matter I'm not gonna get past either of them <laughs> yeah both, totally like they're both gonna do a good job but it's like I I, I feel like I I would hedge my bets a bit better against Kale McCarr <laughs> so I'm gonna go with Seal Monosi but I guess if you had to pick in an actual realistic way who would be your Norris Trophy pick right now? Well, I think I would go with Roman Yossi, and it's because of the the slight gap in points. You know, Yossi, I think he's got maybe eight more points than Makar at this point. And when you look at the underlying stats, uh, Makar's got better possession numbers, but in terms of you know, offensive zone starts and, you know, goals, you know, five on five goals scored when they're on the ice. I mean, they're practically identical. So, you know, you you can't say one is more sheltered than the other in terms of how often they're starting the offensive zone. For that reason, you kind you know, because they're both good defenders, um, you know, because they both can produce offense, my tiebreaker is the fact that Yossi has the the greater gross numbers. So I, it's a fantastic debate, and I don't think there's a wrong answer. But for me, it's just you know they're they're so close. You might as well go with the points at this point. It's probably boring saying yeah, like the there's no wrong answer. You can go either way, and I think yeah. there's a great justification for both. And I, I guess the argument could be is who's been more valuable to the team, and that. Roman Yossi because Colorado has been a cup favorite throughout the entire year. Nashville, not necessarily, but the def- the defense there has really kind of carried that team this year. Um, 
And then when you look at, like, Kale McCarr, it's not fair to dock him because he's played on a team that's been competitive his entire career so far. Yeah. But it's like when you look at the, the Calder Trophy race, there was a good argument for Quinn Hughes because Quinn Hughes had to do so much more for the Canucks. But then you look at the stats, it's like, well, you can't argue that McCarr's been a better player. Mm. Um, so th- there's the context there, but I do, I do have to agree. It's Kale McCarr's time's coming, and it's not to p- say, okay, like, oh, it's like, Romeo Osi's already won the award, so it's not, yeah. it's not like we're giving it because he's an older guy and yeah the, that argument could have been made from our Jordan up to a point a couple of years ago but it's like uh, that's kind of just how I view it that's fair and again it's it's so interesting I mean Nashville I think their forwards have been better than we expected this yes, year Matt particularly <laughs> Matt Duchesne um and you know Philip Forsberg doing his usual excellence but it, it is fascinating because you, you, you know you talk about how stacked Colorado is but Part of the reason they've been able to get to that point is because of the evolution of Kale McCarr. Yeah. So it's a fun debate, and yeah, we'll, we'll see how the, the voting goes down when it uh, happens at the end of the season. It's funny with the, the Avalanche. It's like, it wasn't that long ago we are talking about having like an absolute horrible defense core. And it was like, was like Eric Johnson, like Ian Cole being like their top pair. And then now it's like there was talk of them maybe trading like Bowen Byron at the deadline because they almost had too many defensemen. <laughs> right. And it's like, that's a good position to have. But Kale McCarr basically has given new life to that blue line since he came in. And he doesn't need to be the best player on the ice, but he's still one of the best players in the league. So it's Yeah, like, exactly. It's, it's like, that's kind of just what situations Colorado's in. So uh, I think it could go either way. I'm just going, if I'm picking, it's, I'm going with Yossi at this point. Uh, so did we talk about the Ottawa Senators? Uh, so we talked about Claude Giroux. Uh, lots of rumors of Claude Giroux being linked to the Ottawa Senators. Let's say that happens, and let's say he signs, I don't know, a three-year deal. Mm-hmm. This would be this summer. That's all speculation, I guess. What's your outlook on the team if you bring in a guy like that? Because that means you're serious. That means you've like you're you're capitalizing on the end of his career. You've got these young guys coming in. You really must believe it. So what kind of how does that fit work for you? Well, I think it would be a fit, but I would disagree with the timeline. And what I mean by that is that, you know, the Ottawa Senators, they're in a good part of their rebuild, mm-hmm. but they're not ready to compete no. with the rest of the playoff teams in that division. I mean, when you look at the Atlantic this year, I think the playoff race was probably over in like January. Maybe even before that. December almost, I felt like. Yeah. Possibly December, yeah. And, you know, Florida's going to be good again next year. Tampa's going to be good against next year. Toronto's going to be good against next year. Boston's going to be good again next year. So where are you if you are Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, Montreal? You're basically still building, or maybe you hope that somebody takes a step back and you can kind of jump the queue. But, you know, if Claude Drew were to go to the Senators, I like him from a leadership perspective because you have a veteran mm-hmm. who, you know, has been to a Stanley Cup final, has seen it all in his career. You know, he has been a leader. Um, you know, he has been an integral part of a franchise being Philadelphia. And you look at Ottawa's young core. And you say, okay, is you know Josh Norris is our number one center right now. We've got Shane Pinto, who you know when healthy is, you know, full of potential, and it'll be interesting to see you know what those two kids can do in the in the coming years. But if Giroux were to come in and, and either play center or play on the wing on the top line, you know, and you know with Florida he talked about playing with Barkov uh, when he was traded there, so. 
it would help that top six and give those kids a bit more cover where they can continue to develop and you know pick up some good habits continue to build their confidence because you know you've got so much fun there with kachuk and stutzla batherson um you know once you have Norris and Pinto and you can figure out, okay, are these a 1A, 1B guy? Uh, are they probably, you know, are they only second line centers? So do we need a number one center? Do we need Claude Giroux to go to center for a year or two while these kids keep developing? It would definitely give the Senators uh, a big advantage in terms of helping coax that rebuild along. So I see the value. Would Claude Giroux play any playoff games in those three years? Probably not, maybe in the third year. Uh, but I mean, if if he likes, you know, if he likes the town, if he likes being there, uh, you know, he plays junior hockey uh, with Gatineau just across the mm-hmm. bridge. Um, is there? A, yeah, I've been across that bridge. There's probably a bridge there's bridges. Point, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, then yeah, I think it'd be a good fit for him if he wants. A Stanley Cup title, his best chance is this year with Florida. And hey, maybe if, if he gets it with the Panthers, then he does sign with Ottawa and says, you know, I want to be a mentor for the rest of my career. Yeah. So if they don't win the Stanley Cup, you think you don't, he doesn't want to just sit outside the playoffs going to the World Championship. No, you want your ring. Yeah. So he, and he's, there's been some close calls for the, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. So he's been close. He would like to probably get that next step. But yeah, it's for sure. It's like, to me, somebody pointed this out and said the team's kind of like like Lord of Flies, where it's like a bunch of kids on an island and it's like, who's who's the parent here? Who's the guy person in charge? And it's yeah. like, the captain is 22, Brady Kachuk. Yeah. Thomas Shabbat's another key piece. So many pieces of the young core. And that's not a, a necessary knock on the team whatsoever. Being the, this this loose cannon group, it's because they they're building towards the future and mm. they're they're trying to do this thing right. Um, and when you look at the the Atlantic and you look at some of the goalies in there, you look at Vasilevsky, you look at Bobrovsky slash Spencer Knight, and Jeremy Swayman's looking really good. Is Nadolkovich going to come back at some point and be kind of the guy we thought maybe he'd end up being when he got traded? There's Carey Price when he's healthy. That's a division that's got some decent goaltending. Mm. Um, to me, the biggest concern for this team is they've got, I believe, what, seven goalies signed right now? Seven or eight goalies signed. And I, I'm not sure I'm convinced of any of them at right. this point. Matt Murray, not the guy. Uh, Anton Forsberg's having a good season, but he's got, what, like, not a ton of games to his credit as a mm. career. He's bounced around a lot. Um, they, they've got... Matt Sogard, Kevin Mendelis, and Levi Marilainen, three guys who are decent prospects, but they're still not ready yet. So they're still yeah. going to need to figure out their goalie situation if Forsberg's not the guy, because I don't believe, again, Matt Murray is the guy. Um, but they've got a good core where I'm I'm very – I may be higher on this team than a lot of people where I think this team could be the next Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. Mm. But a lot of stuff still has to happen there. Yeah. Is Giroux going to change that? He'd make the team better, but at the same time, if you're getting them to be a playoff team in three years – Giroux is going to be, what, 37 then? So he's going to be... How effective is he going to be? Mm-hmm. Giroux's numbers have taken a dip. But have they taken a dip because he's not playing as well or because he played on a Philadelphia team that was going backwards? Right. I'm kind of... It's somewhere probably in the middle, leaning towards the team not playing as good as he could, they could have been. Um, so I really like that fit, but it's like almost like if he wins a Stanley Cup, to me, I feel like if the rumors are true of him wanting to go to Ottawa doing the research, that fit works. Um, but he'd be kind of be that parent. Because Connor Brown's one of the older forwards on that team. He's yeah. 28. But then you also got a lot of these other guys who are the older guys, like Tyler Ennis, uh, who aren't like everyday super impact players. Mm. So you get a guy who could be there in that top six, 
I like the idea. Yeah, so. and, and that's one of the next steps for Ottawa is, you know, once the kids are all up and, you know, I know we're going to talk about Jake Sanderson uh, later on as another one, you know, another great prospect coming up to Ottawa. You know, that's when you add some veterans and you, you get those voices in the room where it's like, okay, I've been there before. And, you know, you just do it via trade or free agency. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that time I think is coming soon for the Senators. All right. Well, I, I I love what this team's doing. They're still the missing pieces, but because um, you look at like LA, it feels like their like rebuild was like fifteen minutes long. Yeah, really. They were ready to go because like we were talking about their prospects being like really good for a few years, like immediately as they started missing the playoffs, and that's starting to work out. I feel like Ottawa's going to take a little longer, but I feel like they're going to get in the right direction. So mm. uh, I'm looking liking that. We are going to talk about Jake Sanderson actually right. right now. Um, so. Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal made some pretty decent signing, or I guess signings of the college prospects. Uh, let's look up each of these guys, starting with Jake Sanderson, who is someone who's really highly sought after. And to me, I almost feel like from that draft year, I like Jamie Drysdale more, but I felt like Jake Sanderson was going to maybe be the guy that's just the better all-around player. Mm. And uh, Sanderson's become a pretty solid prospect. He certainly has. And, you know, the thing with Jake Sanderson is that his game really rounded out at the University of North Dakota. And, you know, as a freshman, we saw that great potential and he was playing a great all-around game. But then this season, the offense just took off. And, you know, it was a shame that he got hurt uh, at the Olympics where I think he only got into one game. Yeah, he, he was he was he was COVID before, so he missed the start of the yeah. Olympics. And then he got into one game and then And then I think he got then, hurt. Then it was yeah, it was an injury and then they got a little And that was it. Uh, yeah, so that was too bad. But you know, with Jake Sanderson, I mean, you know, he great compete level and you know so many physical tools and he does so many good things on the ice the fact that he added so much more offense to his game in his second year i think bodes really well because once you get to the nhl you know it's harder to put up points and you really want to have that sort of resume and that con and that confidence already established so you know, coming to Ascend's decor where you do have a, a really good number one in Thomas Shabbat, uh, I think Sanderson fits in really well where I think he'll be able to find his place pretty quickly there. And, you know, again, he's, he's coming off a, a hand injury. So it, I don't know how effective he's going to be down the stretch. This might just be a matter of him getting in games, getting comfortable, getting some minutes. You know, maybe we don't expect a lot in terms of production uh, or even, you know, uh, heavy minutes at this point. But it'll be a nice introduction for him. And then he goes to camp next summer. He knows what to expect. Then he's going for a regular roster slot. And I I think this is a kid that, you know, we're going to see quite a bit of in in Ottawa. So between the NCAA World Juniors and Olympics, he played 24 games this year. Mm. Um, Is there an argument to be made that maybe they should loan him to the World Junior team uh, in August to just get some more? Because he'll be eligible to play one last time Mm. because of the, the way the eligibility works. Would you think he could be sent there? It's a possibility. I think the Senators would have to weigh the pros and cons. Like for him, especially, you know, a guy that has missed so many games, and is coming off an injury, you don't want him to get hurt again. Um, so maybe they want to save him for their own camp. Hard to say. That's obviously up to Pierre Dorian and his staff. Um, what I do wonder is, and I'd have to look at the AHL standings, but if Belleville 
plays more games than Ottawa down the stretch, if Belleville qualifies for the playoffs in the AHL, maybe you send Sanderson to Belleville. No, can he? Because he was signed after the trade deadline. Oh, that's a good question. There so, might be eligibility I, I, I issues there. I don't believe he's eligible to play. Okay, so fair enough. He would have to stay with Ottawa. So that's too bad. In theory, that would make sense. In but. theory, that would have been good. Uh, but again, I mean, maybe it's just a matter of you know, him having a big summer in the gym, getting healthy, getting the rest he needs because it was such an up and down season for him. And there was a lot of recovery. Um, And you just want him primed for his first NHL training camp. So it'll be interesting to see what the sense decide for sure. I'm always on the screw the NHL team, let the play on the world juniors uh, side of things. Or the world championship too. Well, the world, yeah, that very much that could be the case there. Yeah. That that might even be the better idea. Yeah. But uh, and he'd be a good player for that team. He made the Olympic team, yeah. uh, so like he could play against men. Um, but I think that the World Juniors, because he was the captain, it'd be kind of cool to give him a chance to be the leader before he kind of gets not becoming a leader right. in Ottawa because he's younger and stuff. You give him a chance to try to lead that American team to the championship. That'd be a huge loss, but it's something we kind of knew was going to happen when they did this Summer World Junior that Ottawa's going to sign Jake Sanders and he probably wouldn't be available. So. There's that. Uh, mm. that. Again, that's more of a, a selfish type thing. I just, <laughs> I just want to see the best players playing at the World Juniors. Yeah. Um, Montreal signed Jordan Harris. And this is a name where it seemed like there was rumors that he was never going to sign to the Canadians, but they, the, the rumors were never like, they never made sense and never substantiated. Yeah. It was kind of just like, did anyone ask? Like, not yeah, that he really. would say yes or no, but yeah. like the player, of course, said, oh, yeah, well, I'm looking at my options. But it's like, that seemed like one, like, why was there so much talk of him not signing? That was a mystery to me, too. I mean, this is a player that had developed very well at Northeastern University after he'd been drafted by the Habs. And, you know, you look at his skill set, he's a puck mover. Uh, You know, this kid can move, he can handle the puck, and that's a very coveted skill set these days in the NHL. You know, you don't always have to have monster big defensemen. And, in fact, you know, a lot of the players we've been talking about are not beastly guys you know guys like Makar and guys like Roman Yossi who you know they're not small but you know they're not the 6'5 230 pounders uh, by the other uh, token so for me Jordan Harris a very intriguing prospect and I think again the Habs you know even though they have some really big contracts that they have to deal with I think you know, GM Kent Hughes is off to a really good start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of funny because Kent Hughes's sons both play at Northeastern, um, Riley Hughes and then Jack Hughes, the other Jack Hughes. Um, Jordan Harris obviously uh, was a Husky as well. So lots of familiarity there. And, uh, and actually, Marty St. Louis' son, Ryan, yes. plays at Northeastern yeah. as well. So the Habs knew everything about Harris this season. Uh, and yeah, I think he's, a, he's an intriguing prospect. I think you know, he's probably, you know, at best, like a second-pairing guy. Um, and at worst, he's a guy that can move the puck on your third pairing. But I've, I've liked him for a while, and um, I think he's got a, a pretty good skill set for today's game. He played a lengthy college career, and I think a lot of people will think it's like, oh, like if he played so long at the college, like uh, Jack McBain in, in Arizona now, mm. it's like, oh, he must not be that good. It's like, no, the players stay in college for various reasons. If there's no rule yeah. for them, they're not going to rush. If they want to finish school, schools like they, they finish that is super important to them, they'll do that. If they want to keep just getting stronger, they'll do that. So mm-hmm. I don't think that really is an indication of anything. And finally, Toronto signed Nick, and I've never said his name last name out loud, Nick Abruzzese. I know that's not... Abruzzese? Abruzzese, yep. Okay, see, I've never had to say it. I'm not Italian. Uh, Italy did not make the World Cup of Soccer. Canada did. 
Uh, yeah. I think we're coming for uh, spaghetti next. Um, but uh, that was a bad joke. <laughs> but uh, okay, what, what, this is someone where he could be playing maybe even like this week against Boston. It's kind of mm. a rumor that he'd play on Saturday. So what are the Leafs getting out of him? Well, you're getting a really smart offensive player that you know can make a lot of stuff happen in uh, the offensive zone. And, you know, it's kind of funny, like, yeah, Toronto has that. But, I mean, if you can sort of overwhelm teams um, with players like that, why not? Uh, you can never have too much scoring. And, you know, we've seen Abrazesi in some pretty great situations lately. He was on the U.S. Olympic team and uh, fared pretty well. I think him and... Uh, Matthew Nyes actually hooked up for a goal at one point. Matthew Nyes, obviously a Toronto Maple Leafs prospect as well, uh, still playing in the college season with the Golden Gophers, uh, headed to the Frozen Four. But, you know, with Abrazesi, you know, a, a kid that was maybe a little bit of a late bloomer, but, you know, went through the Chicago Steel program in the USHL, that's has graduated a lot of talent mm-hmm. already and continues to do so. And then you go to Harvard. Uh, Harvard has been a really good program for years now as well. Um, particularly, you know, we've seen some great offensive players, and Abrazesi certainly fits into that. You know, it's, it's, it's just the, the hockey IQ, the creativity, the vision. Um, just the ability to create and produce that makes Abrazesi very dangerous. One of the scouting reports I read on him a while back was, he's smart. It's like, okay, are you just saying that because he's at Harvard? <laughs> <laughs> feels cheap. <laughs> no, it's like he makes smart decisions with the puck. Yeah. And that's kind of just it. You need a guy like that later or deeper in your lineup, and he scores. It's like, yeah, it works out for them. So, mm-hmm. uh, Last question before we go to viewer questions. The Western Conference wildcard race is really tight. We got the Blues, mm. Vegas, Dallas, Winnipeg, Vancouver are all kind of battling for Edmonton too. Um, it, uh, of those teams being St. Louis, Vegas, Dallas, Winnipeg, Vancouver, mm. those are the teams that are battling for mainly right now for two wildcard spots. Which of those two teams make it? Okay, well, St. Louis for sure, because I think they actually passed Nashville last night for third. So That can just flip-flop every night. That'll flip-flop every night. So I'm saying St. Louis and Nashville are kind of like safe. I'll, I'll put them as a team. And then I'm going to say Dallas, because Dallas has games in hand on everybody else. Uh, two or three games. And then I look at the Stars' schedule. They have the Ducks twice in a row. They have the Sharks. Then they have the Islanders and the Kraken. They should win at least four of those games, maybe even five of them. I mean, the Ducks are really struggling right now in particular. So for Dallas, you know, they can really slingshot themselves into a good position just in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just by virtue of, you know, say they win those first three games and and sort of and, – and, Put themselves in a position where they've made up those games they had in hand on those other teams all of a sudden you know they're ahead of everyone else so you know as long as dallas can kind of hold on and you know stay as healthy as possible i think it's a team where we've seen them sort of lock things down in the playoffs before and have a lot of success they really just have to take care of business in the next sort of two weeks and they'll have themselves in a really good position. And, you know, you look at a team like Vegas, and the thing that worries me is that they only have five home games left. So a team that traditionally, at least, has been really good at home, you know. Much better at home this year, 2013-3 compared to 16-15-1. There you go. So they're not going to have that advantage for most of the time. They have a couple of pretty tough road swings. Uh, I think they have to play Edmonton and Calgary at one point on the road. So... 
I mean, Vegas, they're really going to have to pull things together quickly if they're going to try to get into that wild card spot. And it's, it's tough. It's tough to make up points, not only in a wild card race, but just only in, just in your own division. And, you know, that's something that teams have to contest with a lot these days is, you know, you get three point games between two of your competitors and that hurts you doubly. Yeah. And then if you lose to a team that is in the race with you, then you, it's almost like a four point game. So it's really tough. And that's why I like Dallas is because they have a little bit of a built in schedule advantage where they have more games to play with and they can make up some ground pretty quickly in the next week and a half, two weeks. My heart says Thatcher Demko just saves Vancouver's season, but realistically, I, mean, I got to go with Dallas too. This mm. is a team that at home has been unbelievable, twenty-one nine and one. Like they've been fantastic at home, and uh, they got that game advantage, which definitely helps. A bit of a cheat because if they end up just losing like three of them, like it doesn't really matter at that point. You're not yes. really gaining anything, but um, it, it's. I just like the way they're playing more than Vegas as much as I was holding on to Vegas's hope of being a potential favorite not even that long ago. But then lots have changed since yep. that for uh, that when, you, when you're, your starting goalie is not playing. and um, So, yeah, D- Dallas, I like that one. It's That's a team where um, we had Adam Proto at the beginning of the year write about for the website saying this is a team he's really watching because they've got so – like there's so many things that look great on this team and it just seemed like – like goaltending looked to be a strength. And then mm. that became something where it's like you never know what you're getting because one guy retired, another guy is out for the rest of the season. Holpies hadn't hurt. You bring in Jake Odger, who's uh, still young, but when he's good, he's really good. Totally. And, um, saw him a few weeks ago here in Toronto. He didn't play that great, but it wasn't his fault. His team didn't score a goal mm. uh, against. Uh, Hard to win that way. You, you kind of need goals to score. So, uh, yeah, I kind of like the idea of like a Winnipeg uh, type thing. Or not to put a big on Nashville, everything kind of, kind of pretty much. We just come into agreement to put <laughs> there it you go. in English. We come to an agreement on that, which is not as interesting. Yeah. Um, all right, that's it for the topics. The viewer questions, though. There's one that uh, I really like from Mike Kim asking, "What are the LA Kings doing with Quinton Byfield?" Mm. You know what? I think they're doing fine, and it's kind of funny where you know we mentioned earlier Los Angeles way ahead of where we thought they would be at this point Um, you know I mean they're a legit playoff team and their veterans have really been driving the bus and for Byfield keep in mind he's only 19 he turns 20 in August so this is a kid that's just at the beginning of his career and as a bigger center those guys always take longer. You know, I call it sort of the Joe Thornton theory. Uh, you, know, you can toss Vincent LeCavalier in there as well. And, you know, particularly guys that had high expectations coming into the league where, you know, if you're the Kings, you still got Andre Kopitar playing great hockey. Kopitar is a fantastic mentor for Quentin Byfield because, you know, Byfield does have that great size and he has a great skill set and he's still learning to round out his game and to be an NHLer. And he'll still get a lot stronger, which is kind of hilarious to think for a kid who's so big. Mm-hmm. But you got to get that man strength. And, you know, playing on the Kings, where you have a bunch of those veterans that can guide you in the weight room, that can guide you off the ice and say, here are our habits. This is what we do. You know, this is what you should do with nutrition. This is what you should do with rest. That's such a benefit. So, you know, Byfield, he's playing some decent minutes lately. And, you know, he had a three-point game the other night, which is good for his confidence. But personally, I'm not worried. I think that, you know, Byfield was always going to be the type of player that we wouldn't see a breakout until he was maybe 21. And then you think about how the schedule interrupted things with the pandemic. Maybe now it's 22. But you look at the Kings right now, and they're in a great spot because 
They don't need him to carry them. They can have him be a student of the game where the veterans do a lot of the heavy lifting and Los Angeles still gets into the playoffs, mm-hmm. maybe even with home ice advantage. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't think we expected that at the beginning of the year. Never. It was a very wide-open division, but I don't think we were talking about them being as good as they've been. No. A lot of fun to watch. Good prospect day. And again, the quickest rebuild I think we've ever seen in hockey, it feels like. Uh, next question comes from uh, Drew Sanford. In light of the Dadnoff situation, what is your favorite weird hockey story? And I didn't, I specifically did not ask for clarification if it had to be a trade. I wanted to be kind of wide open. So what, which, uh, what's your story? Well, that's good because the one that came to mind for me, and I was there in person, was at the 2019 World Juniors when Switzerland got two penalty shots on the same play. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was ridiculous. Where uh, I think the player's name was Marcus Lehman. Um, he got dragged down by Dmitry Samarukov, the Oilers prospect, during a breakaway. But then it had happened so early in the breakaway that he got back up and kept going, and Samarukov hauled him down again. So the refs called two penalty shots, and then to make it even weirder, the Swiss missed both penalty <laughs> shots. Well, once I think it was one save and one miss, but they didn't score on either. I think the game was 3-3 at the time. Russia ended up winning 7-4. It was one of those upsets that did not happen mm. and it really could have altered things because i if i'm not mistaken this was at the very end of the round robin yeah. so that i mean being there it was like what is happening i was like <laughs> are we getting two penalty shots could the swiss go up five three and then of course they didn't but that was the weirdest i can recall i just remember that being a talking point it's like is that actually in the real book because it's never happened but no it, it did mine's my favorite's actually also world junior favorite uh, memory and it was a few years before that the 2017 world juniors when finland fired their coach um, during the tournament. during the tournament, you right. don't see that often. No. We, we've seen in the last couple of years where coaches have had to step down due to COVID. But actually, firing your coach mid tournament. Now, another one. This one's really obscure. It was a Turkish league playoff game I watched last year, and the score was like forty nothing. Like that's a Turkish league. It's not very competitive. But the one team, there was no commentary, so we don't know what happened. Like they couldn't explain. But then, like mid penalty shot, the goalie skated away, so the guy just skated and empty net and scored. And then the goalie didn't return, and you see one of the defensemen like putting on pads and goes and finishes the game. The score looks like something stupid. Wow! I tweeted about it, and like the commissioner of the league got mad at me. He's like, "Oh, there's no context." It's like, what context is needed in a forty-something hockey game? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so like they they pulled their goalie, like the goalie let, just quit. He pulled himself in a penalty shot. Wow! So I can't say I've ever heard of that. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those are my picks. Uh, let's finish it off with uh, ra- uh, rapid fire, my favorite section. Let's do it. Um, all right, your favorite piece of hockey memorabilia. Ooh, okay. My favorite piece of hockey memorabilia. I would say when I was a kid, I got a mini stick signed by Wendell Clark. Actually, no, you know what? There's that. But then I also have, when I was a kid, I had a Leafs jersey, and I would go to hockey card shows because that's what we did mm-hmm. when we were kids. They still exist. They still exist. And I would get as many retired players to sign it as possible. So throughout the my childhood, I was lucky enough to get a bunch of Leafs alumni, a lot of original six ones too. So like Teeter Kennedy was actually one of the first. Uh, and then like guys like Bobby Bond and Paul Henderson, um, you know, Dick Duff. Um, and then at a card show, I got Felix Potvan, which was very exciting at the time because uh, I was probably like 12 or something. Uh, so I would say, you know, those are the, the ones that I think of, uh, yeah, best hockey memory. I also have a signed picture of Pavel Bure, 
that he signed like before he even like spoke English or knew how to like really write in English. Uh, so that's kind of a fun one too. So my favorite is a seat from the uh, Montreal Forum, and it, it shut down the year I was born. So I had no connection to the rink, but I, we received it from a family friend, and uh, I used it for a lot of the uh, THN Now videos we filmed during the playoffs a couple years ago uh, when I went and visited my family for like a couple of weeks. Not a comfortable chair uh, <laughs> at all, but it's either that or, or my Jose Tidor signed uh, hat based on it was like the same hat that he wore not, not the specific one but it was like the one he wore at the outdoor game against nice. the Oilers so uh, that was just a generic Habs hat I think I had two myself but uh, yeah, I had I have it framed in my, my childhood 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 hood home. home words are hard yeah, yeah. Um, alright in light of the Oscars create your own award show idea my own award show idea interesting I would say it feels like we need an alternate movie award show. Uh, and, and maybe this exists, but like a, maybe like a cult movie award show that awards like the movies that everybody's actually talking about during the year. And maybe, maybe you do like TV shows as well. But, you know, like I think about like sometimes those movies will get Noticed like Parasite, mm-hmm. obviously won Best Picture, but you know, like all the movies like that that people are actually talking about. You do like a it's like world cinema where it's like you know, Takeshi Miike films, and like back in the day, like the really good like John Woo films should have been honored in a way where it's like this is what like a lot of people that are into movies are actually watching and actually excited about. So that would be kind of fun. For me, it'd be an award show for like non-Olympic sports. So it's not that crazy of an idea, but like things like uh, lawn bowling and things like just things you mm. don't get that wouldn't, wouldn't don't get any fanfare and have their own little manny thing like that. Uh, underwater hockey, unicycle hockey, two sure. ones that would work. Uh, any of the underwater sports, but just like putting a spotlight on these sports no one's ever heard of, and it'd be kind of fun just because all the social media talk would be like, "Hey, did you see someone won an award for uh, like?" finger skateboarding like just kind of something like rain like tech decking it's like uh, it, no one would watch it but it'd be just giving some love to the obscure sports and i love the obscure sports indeed you do will carry price play a game this year i'm gonna say yes because obviously we don't know this full health situation but yeah we don't but i'm gonna say that if he is able to play and if he is in the right headspace he will play the final home game of the season in montreal montreal's got nothing to lose and that would be something for fans to look forward to and yeah. get people to continue going to the games not that montreal needs that but be a long-standing ovation oh yeah and a well-deserved probably the biggest one since maybe sakakoiba in montreal so that'd be a pretty big deal it'd be yeah. cool and uh so uh Drew-Wins one was also a big uh standing ovation but i, I say yes be partly just from the do you want his let's say he's healthy to go for next season um, do you want his first game since July 2021 to be in October 2022? Right. Give him some chance. Like, obviously, a game at the end of the season is not going to get him fully prepared for next year, but just get him back into that mindset. Yeah. And if he pulls off a win, bam, good to go. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that they're going to still try to get him to play. Um, different drafts, but would you rather have Shane Wright or Matt Vimichkov? Now, are we counting Mishkov's contract status here? If they're both ready tomorrow. If they're both ready tomorrow. Hmm. 
I don't know. I might still take Shane Wright because I feel like I know what his NHL game is going to be. And with Mitchkoff, I mean, he's so talented, but he is a little smaller. And I don't know the translation yet because he's obviously a bit younger as well. But I just feel like with Shane Wright, I know what I'm getting, and I would be very happy to have that in a complete NHL player. For for me, that's kind of how I look at it too. It's like the um, Mitchkoff can pull off some really good moves. We know how talented he is, yep. but can he do it? He's pulling it off a lot in junior, and he's doing it against like teams like Belarus, where like they have like one guy over six foot on defense at like international play. So um, I would like to see him. I, I'm going to go Shane Wright. I just feel like he's more of the Sidney Crosby-style player. You can kind of just yeah. rely on him and everything. So that's my pick. I, w- I always like to say, like, could Shane Wright stop Matthew Mishkov? Probably. Could Matthew Mishkov stop Shane Wright? Probably not. And the final one, metal band names real or made-up edition. Beautiful. Decapitated Angel. I'm going to say no because that sounds like two – that sounds like Cattle Decapitation and Morbid Angel smushed together. It is not real, but it feels yeah. like it probably could be some like band out of like Texas playing some bars or something. I was going to say, it's probably a band somewhere, but they're not good. Preschool Tea Party Massacre. Mm, I'm going to say that's real. That feels like one of those, like, we just came up with a bunch of funny things, you know. Uh, yeah, that sounds like somebody's first band. Uh, yes, uh, that that is... A real band. Boom. So far, so good. We butter the bread of butter. Man, it's almost too dumb to be fake. I'm going to say it's real because it sounds too dumb to be fake. They were signed to, I think, Rise Records at one point. So they were not a little tiny metal record company. So yeah, they are correct. Uh, Fist of Gothics. Say that again? Fist of Gothics. Of Gothics. I'm going to say that's real because, like, I don't know how you would have made that up because I don't even know what guthics means. It's, I asked a friend of mine, uh, it's a RuneScape reference. So if you've never played the game RuneScape, you would never Oh, get which it. I have not. It's a, it's a mini game in the game where you oh, are supposed to. It, okay. it's, so it, it just sounded metal. So it ah, works. Um, so that's not real. That is not real. Ah, well done. Uh, Bubblegum Octopus. Mm. I'm going to say that's fake. It is real. Ah. They are uh, a gore grind band. Uh, mm. They mostly make music about cats, but positive. It's cats taking over the world. Fair. Uh, and I joined, I made a hockey team called the Bubblegum Octopi <laughs> in, a, in a high school uh, ball hockey term. We came dead last. Ah. Uh, we had the coolest name. There you go. Uh, and the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. Oh, dude. I suffered through uh, their much music. music. Yeah. Uh. AKA Finger 11. When, yeah, that was a perfect example of a band that started to get big and they were like, <laughs> we cannot keep this name. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. I remember their I, I remember their first album was called like Chutney or something like that. Yeah, they played it on Much Music all the time when I was a kid. So, so. it's real. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. definitely real. Yeah, well, I, I saw them perform in Burlington where they performed under that name and Burlington Zone. Yeah, yeah, and Burley Town. Bur- Burlington's got some good music festivals. Sound of Music, it's a good time. There you go. Go 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 on a boat if you got a boat and go watch it. But uh, it's kind of the only way to really watch it. But uh, yeah, that's it. So, uh, well, you did pretty good. Thank you. Just I started to, off strong. Yeah, Fist of Gothics was just the one you didn't get. That really, yeah, that tripped me up. But uh, yeah. I'm going to make that a band name now. So There you go. <laughs> All right, that's it for this week's uh, podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Ryan. And uh, we're going to be back next week. So uh, thanks for watching and or listening. I can feel-